So 18 sermons later, the Ephesian journey ends here. Um, it's been good. I've enjoyed it. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've got something out of it. Let's read chapter 6. And, and I'm going to start from verse 10 again. You're not going to forget this. Get it into you. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Anybody strong enough to do things themselves? I'm not. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Are you aware that the devil has schemes? Yes. Uh, if you've got through a week without being aware of the devil's schemes, that is quite unique. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And therefore, we can't fight like flesh and blood. Our struggle is against the rulers, the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, all of it, not your favorite two pieces that feel comfy and you look well in, all of it. Put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, those days when you just know things have been ramped up against you, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me, that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Father, thank you for these great words. Holy Spirit, come. Come and do powerful work in our hearts and our minds this morning. Lord, let this not be a sermon. Let this be a, a moment of restoration, a moment of strengthening and empowering your people. In the name of Jesus, amen. Previously in Ephesus, we have had three themes that have ran throughout the letter. We have had sitting in the first three chapters where we sit because of what Jesus has done. The book all started with in him, in him, in him, in Christ, in him, all about Jesus, what he has done, and that we are seated in the heavenly places, enthroned with him, made alive with him. And then Ephesians 4 to about halfway through chapter 6 is about walking the Christian life. How do we live in response to what has been done for us? And then the last portion is about standing strong in the armor and in the power of God. And a reminder to you that this is a clash of kingdoms. Whenever Jesus walked this earth, evil spirits just manifested as he walked past people. It's a clash of kingdoms. 
There is no sort of compromise or, or living side by side. This is a clash of kingdoms. There's a war going on for your soul. It's not going on inside you. It is going on between you as a child of God and the world around you that is opposed to God. That's the battlefield between you and this world. And we have seen the armor so far, defensive armor. Armor that we put on that stops the enemy from getting at us. Truth, righteousness, the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, and salvation as a helmet to guard our mind, as, as Linda told us about last week. And today, there are two more pieces of armor. Debatable whether the last one is a piece of armor or not, but because it would make the total seven, I think that's quite biblical. So we'll say there are two more. Number six is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, elsewhere in the Bible, the Word of God is referred to as a sword. In Hebrews chapter 4, we read that the Word of God is alive and active. Alive. This book lives. Okay? It's alive. The Word of God. Not the paper, not the ink, not the imitation leather that's fallen apart, but the truth and the life that is within it. It's alive. And it's sharper, according to the writer to Hebrews, it's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, your flesh and your spirit. This comes between them. (laughs) This divides between them, and it's a very precise blade, dividing between what is of the soul and what is of the spirit. And sometimes we can hide away from reading it because we don't really want it to do that surgery on our lives. It's sharp. It cuts right down through the garbage in our lives. So we see that, that this picture of the Word of God as a, as a sword is a common one in Scripture. And the Greek word that is used frequently for word is the word logos. Not logos, but logos. That's the, the word that is commonly used. Now... What is this sword of the Spirit like? It's not like William's sword. When I think of a sword, I think of William. William Wallace. Uh, big, big, long sword, nearly as, as tall as Mel Gibson himself. This big, flipping, wheely thing that you'd have to swing around. That's a good sword. That's not the sword that Paul is talking about. It's not the, it's not the word. The word he's using in Greek is not referring to that type of sword, a broad sword. It's, it's not William, it's more Maximus, if you know Maximus. It's the short sword. It's maybe 18 inches long. More like a dagger. Something that you can do close combat with. If you're right in close to somebody, the short sword, you can move quicker, you can respond quicker, you're not swinging as much as you would be with, a, with the long sword. That's the sword that we're talking about. The short sword for close combat. And if we get this this morning, whenever the enemy attacks us, we're not only putting on defensive armor. We're not only putting on, you know, the, the helmet, the shield, the belt, all those things that, that protect us when he strikes. If we get this, then when he strikes, we strike back. Yes? We're, and we're not just on the defensive all the time. This is a weapon of attack and a weapon of damage to the enemy if we get this. I want to live a life where every time I am under the attack of the enemy, he regrets it. 
Every single time the tables get turned. Message that we preached here a few months ago and it's on SoundCloud if you want to go back and listen to it. That the whole picture of, of Haman building a gallows to hang Mordecai on, but Haman ends up hanging on it. I want to live a life where every time the enemy comes at me, he walks away with his fresh wounds on him saying, darn, messed up again. So what is this sword then? Now, I'm going to say something controversial, intentionally controversial. Do not get up and walk out of the room. And if you're listening online, don't stop at this point. The sword is not your Bible. Okay? Now, keep listening to me. The sword is not your Bible. Sometimes we talk about the Bible as the sword. That's fine. That's okay. But the sword, you just stay there. Don't you go. (laughs) The sword is not the Bible. Whenever... We read from Hebrews earlier about the Word of God. It was the word Logos, which means the written Word. In Ephesians 6, Paul does not use that word. He uses the word Rema. Rema. And what the word Rema means is the spoken word. The uttered word. The word that you say, not just the word that you write or read but the word that you say. You could literally translate it the utterance of God. When he speaks, the rhema. Our pastor back at Les Nadil was so consumed by this speaking of God that he calls his house rhema cottage. The rhema of God, the spoken word. In in Revelation 1.16, we read about Jesus. John sees this vision of Jesus. Glorious, resurrected, powerful vision of Jesus. And it doesn't say in his hand he had a little book. It doesn't say that he was writing things down. It says that coming out of his mouth, being spoken, there was a sharp, double-edged sword. And what I want, the point that I want to make of this and, and where I want to then set your mind at ease by saying that the sword that, that is referred to here is not the Bible, is I want to tell you that in the context of spiritual warfare, what we need is those moments, and this is your theme, this is your memory thing for today, you need those moments where the written word that you have drank in deeply in a disciplined way, the written word becomes the spoken word. That's what we're talking about in the context of spiritual warfare. We're talking about those moments whenever the Logos word that's written becomes the Rhema word that is spoken. That's what we need when we are doing warfare against the enemy. Whenever he comes against us, I don't think what we need to do is just open up and read our favorite psalm. What we need to do is hear the Holy Spirit quickening something to us from the Word of God that we have read over the years in a disciplined way. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit draws it out and that becomes the sword of the Spirit against the enemy at that moment. Do you understand me? So there is the Logos and and there is the discipline of reading, studying, listening to teaching, getting the truth and the story of God's Word into you. But on the battlefield, there are those moments when the Spirit pulls something out of that. And says, that's your sword. That's your sword for this battle. 
That's the thing that's going to do harm to the enemy. You see, the Logos, if, if, if we're talking about Logos, we're talking about words. If I give you a piece of paper with words written on it, I have given you words. But if I speak to you, I have given you words. And you know I'm obsessed with this image because I use it a lot. If I speak to you, I'm giving you my words, but I'm also giving you my breath. Because you can't speak. I dare you to try it, not right now. But you cannot speak without exhaling. It is impossible. Even a whisper. There's got to be a movement of air, a movement of breath to carry sound. And I want the rhema word of God on the battlefield because it's not only a written word, it is a living word with the Spirit along with it, breathing life into it. So I'm not just grabbing my favorite verse and hoping for the best. I'm hearing the Holy Spirit saying, for this battle, this is the word. This is from, not some just random vague little idea that's dropped in my mind. Something that's rooted in scripture. This is the word for this battle. Have you encountered those moments when you just, you're facing discouragement, you're facing whatever, and you just feel the Spirit quickening a verse or a story from the Scriptures, a passage, a character, whatever. And you just, that's my sword for this battle. Love it. When the devil comes at you, you need to have these short swords that you can draw from. You need the Logos to become the Rhema. You need the breath of the Spirit coming along with the Word of God. That's what Jesus did in the wilderness when he faced down against Satan. And three times he came against Satan and said, It is written, and he spoke it out. He spoke it out. And one of the things he spoke out was that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word. Now, every word that is written, every word that comes from the mouth of God, when the written word becomes the spoken word. Not when you make something, and don't misunderstand me, not when you make up something new and turn around and say, oh, God spoke this to me, and therefore it is God's word. No, I'm talking about when something that's already been written becomes spoken powerful powerful and you're not just going on the strength of some wee thing that you thought you heard one day when you were feeling down but you know you're going on the strength of what is written in the book but has been made alive by the spirit in that moment three times satan came to the to to jesus and three times jesus said to him it is written and quoted from deuteronomy jesus would have learned as a child he would have memorized the first five books of our bible called the Torah. A lot of us (laughs) have never read them. (laughs) But he had them memorized. Even all that stuff about pigeons. He had it memorized. He he had it deep within him. What's my role in all of this? When it comes to these moments on the battlefield, do I just stand about and say, well, Holy Spirit, you have to give me a sword. I can't fight unless you give me a sword. So you just sort of stand with your two arms the same length waiting for something to appear. Have you no role? Have you no responsibility in this? What is your role? Well, your role is to stock the armory. By reading the Logos, by reading the written word, you're stocking up the armory. I said earlier, this is not a sword. This is an armory full of swords. All different types of swords, different sizes of swords, different types of handles and different types of, all, all different swords. This is the armory 
from which the Holy Spirit draws a sword and gives it to you and says, use that one. Use that one. On this particular day, when this particular discouragement, this particular challenge has come to you, he opens up the armory and he picks one out and says, that's the sword for today. And that's the logos becoming the rhema. That's the written word becoming the spoken word. You're going into battle not just with something that's written, but you're going in with something that's written and breathed. And things that breathe have life. One of my favorite films, uh, an absolute classic in its time and probably still a classic to be honest, is The Matrix. And there's a wonderful scene in The Matrix where where uh, Neo and Trinity are about to, to go into battle and, and they're, they're in this computer program. It's impossible to describe, but you have to watch it. Um, they're, they're in this program and, and the guy that's running it says, what do you need? And Neo says, we need guns, lots of guns. And just this massive armory of weaponry appears on both sides of them. Just thousands, millions of guns of every sort. And so that's what I picture when I think about this as my armory. I'm just surrounded by weapons, surrounded by weapons. And remember, we're coming at this this morning in the context of spiritual warfare. This is not, you know, reading this book is not just about spiritual warfare. Reading this book, you need to know the story that you are now part of. These are my ancestors. These are my promises. This is my story. These are my people. I'm part of this. This is my book. I need to know the big story. I need to know God and know Jesus intimately through this story. So please don't minimize the Bible just to something that you read for spiritual warfare. We're in the context of Ephesians 6, and that's why I'm driving at it from this angle this morning. We need guns. We need swords. Lots of swords. Because there's lots of battle to be done. The Spirit is your armor bearer. Lovely wee story in 1 Samuel 14 of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Your armor bearer is like your caddy playing golf. You know, he's walking around with you, carrying all the stuff and picking out what you need for, for whatever. I hate golf. Sorry. That just came out of me, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth spoke. <laughs> but out, out, of, out of that armory, I'm, I'm tired. You know I'm tired and you get these... <laughs> It gets dangerous then. How long have we got left? <laughs> Behave. Out of that bag of weaponry, he says, take that one. He's going around and he's got the expertise, but you stock the armory. Do you understand? Are there swords in the armory? Is your armory empty? Is it depleted? Because there'll be times, and it's not, it's not just a verse, but it's a whole story that maybe I've meditated and chewed on 10 years ago. When I was young in my faith, I spent an awful lot of time with, with David and Saul and Absalom and lovely Abigail and all those beautiful characters in that story. And I stocked up the armory. And then the Holy Spirit can draw from the armory. Yeah. So every time you're reading this, have that in your mind. I'm, I'm chugging through. I'm reading something that's maybe difficult. It maybe doesn't mean an awful lot to me, but I'm putting swords into the armory as I'm reading it. I'm reading Deuteronomy at the minute. It's hard work. There are chapters in it that you just sort of, you know. But then you think, Jesus, three times in the wilderness with the devil. Where did he... Where did he his three swords come from. 
They all came from Deuteronomy. It's the sword of the Spirit. This is why we need the Holy Spirit in our preaching and in our churches and in our personal Bible reading and in our conversations with one another. It's the sword of the Spirit. Because do you know what? It is very easy to open this book, to read from it and to teach from it in a, main, in a, in a sort of a way in which it is not a sword to attack the enemy, but it becomes a rod to beat people who are made in the image of God. You ever listened to a sermon and felt, I'm being beaten by a man using the Bible as a rod to beat me. I am not hearing something that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and is attacking the enemy. This word, when it's used in spiritual warfare, should attack one person and one person only, the devil. It should never beat people. It should never beat people. It should never condemn people. It might expose sin. It might, it might bring truth in a way that is painful to them. But it's not to beat them. It's to build them up. We need the Spirit in the Word. Even when you're going through, like what we've done this year since September, and gone through Ephesians and, and taught the book and gone through the, the whole thing, still for me, every week we've done that, there's been something within the passage, and that's been the rhema. Maybe doing 10 verses, 15 verses, but in the middle of it, there's a theme that just lights up and that becomes the rate. So it's not just a, an academic exercise of going through, this means this and this means that, but there's something each time where the written word becomes the spoken word. One of the most profound, probably the verse of all of Ephesians that has, that has hit me and affected me more than any other this time going through it has been chapter 4, verse 20. And I can remember going through these, this, this passage, but just driving into this verse. This was the rhema word in this passage for me, where, he, where Paul says, that's not the way you learned Christ. And I got this phrase, learning Christ, into me. And the Greek word for learning is the same as the word for discipleship. And that floats my boat. And I started to think, what is, and we've been back to the drawing board and back to the whiteboard at the Spence House on discipleship, trying to figure out how do we do this? in a way that is sustainable and life-changing. And, and, and that has been the heart of it, learning Christ. How can we facilitate people to learn Christ, to follow Jesus, to learn more about him? But that for me was the, was the, the rhema word out of the whole book, probably more than any other, and certainly that particular day. There should be rhema experiences when you're listening to good preachers. You know, if you listen to people online and you maybe, you maybe access just, just some really great, great preachers and teachers and you, you know what I'm talking about. When they're talking about something, like, like Daniel recommended a guy to me and, and I listened to him. And the, the stuff he was talking about was, 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 was simple truth, but there was rhema in it. You know, I just loved listening to him. When you could get past his sort of slightly American loudness, it was just like, oh, come on, there, there's a lot of truth in what you're doing. You're taking the written word and you're empowered by the Holy Spirit and you're bringing that life to it. Love it. So there should be Rhema experiences. Linda spoke last week about the helmet of salvation. She gave you a little list of scriptures, you know, about who you are in Christ for you to meditate on. That, those are Rhema words. Those are, those are swords, you know. That's a little mini armory right there where there are weapons for you to draw on when, when the enemy comes and fills you with doubt, maybe I'm not saved and maybe Jesus' blood is not enough to cover my sin. You can get yourself a sword. 
Maybe I'm not really a child of God. Maybe I'm a sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm the black sheep of God's family. I'm the runt of God's litter. I'm not really accepted. No, that's not true. Pull out a sword. Pull out a sword and let the Holy Spirit quicken it. Do you have those moments yourself, sometimes when you're reading the Bible and, and, and you're, you're, you're just sort of, come on, let's be honest, you're reading through something, you're thinking, oh, this is difficult, you know, and, and then all of a sudden, boom, one way phrase, two words, and you're just like, yes, <laughs> yes, mm, come on. Also, just a couple other things in which the sword of the Spirit and the, the, the rhema of God can come is, is through prophetic ministry, which can be incredibly powerful, but must be exercised with responsibility and caution and from a life of godly character. And I, and I would really ask that as, as we exercise, as we seek to see prophetic ministry exercised, that it's accompanied by Scripture. That if you feel you've got something to share with somebody, that you, as you chew over that and you think about it, you're like, Lord, give me a Scripture to go along with it. Let it not just be a picture. Let it not just be, but actually give me something to ground it in, in the word of God. So that they're going away, not just with what's come into my head, but they're going away with truth. Rhema. Let me give you an example. There's a, um, again, if you've been about a while, you know I love the story of Samson. And in the story of Samson, there's a, there's a picture of the church, I believe. Because you find this rotting carcass of a lion that Samson has killed. And when he comes back to it, he finds inside the lion, in the Hebrew it says there was a community of bees. And bees make honey, and honey gives sweetness. And I believe that's a picture of the church. In the middle of a world of death and corruption and decay, there's this community that is bringing forth sweetness. Beautiful. It's been a real picture to me of what the church is. And in the early days of coming into this town to establish something, a guy who's coming here tonight who I'd never met before came up to me one day in the foyer of a church and he says, I see you and when I see you and listen to you, I can see honey flowing down the street in Tandragee. And I smiled from ear to ear and I said, mate, you've no idea. But you see what he shared, God took something that was written in his word, the story of Samson, the picture of the bees and the lion. He took something that was in the written word and breathed life and it became to me a rhema word. It became to me a sword. So when the enemy discourages you and says, you shouldn't be here, you shouldn't be doing this, you should quit. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, I've got a rhema for that. I've got a sword for that. There's these personal words that come to you as well when you're just seeking God yourself and you feel him speaking. One of the things I feel he's been speaking to me a lot over the past year is to make space for him. Tonight we're making space for God. We're not filling it up with flesh. We're not filling it up with men and women speaking and doing their thing. We're making space for God. And a part of that journey was, was a, a prophetic word that was given to me one night in the prayer meeting about the picture of a, of a child in a birth canal and all the pressure that was being exerted on the child and the baby about to be born and then the baby's born and it suddenly it can move it can stretch out its arms and legs it's in a wide open space and the next morning 12 hours later less than 12 hours later i read psalm 118 about how god brought me into a spacious place you understand how the written word became a rhema word and all meshed together in evangelism, we need the rhema word. We don't just need to memorize, here are four scriptures you should quote when you're leading someone to Jesus. That's okay and that's good. 
But you want to be sitting there with a person and you want the Holy Spirit to be just drawing a sword and saying, use this one. Use this one. Not to attack the person, but to attack the stronghold that the enemy has, the grip that the enemy has in the person's life. So you're sitting chatting with them, and while you're chatting with them, a story comes to mind, and it's the story of, of Peter being restored on the beach in John 21. Peter's denied Jesus, and then Jesus restores him, and you then use that story. Use that story. The rhema word. Didn't memorize it. <clears throat> didn't plan it in advance. But the Holy Spirit just says, take that one and use that, because the enemy needs to be hit with that sword. There's a verse in, well, Isaiah 55 that you hear quoted an awful lot. And I'm nearly done. I'm going to talk about prayer, but extremely briefly. It says that the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So the picture is it rains. And as it rains, the rain hits the ground and it does something. It achieves something brings life and it brings flourishing and then Isaiah goes on to say or God goes on to say through Isaiah so it is with my word that goes out from my mouth it will not return to me empty it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it now you'll hear a lot of the time people saying God's word shall not return to him void and they'll chuck out a random verse Or they'll hand out a wee piece of paper with a scripture on it and then say, God's word won't return to him void. Mm -mm, That's not what the verse says. The verse says, my word that goes out from my mouth. Not just a verse and a scrap of paper here, take that and and then, you know, your word's not going to return void. No, no, no. The word, the rhema word that he gives where he takes something from the written word, he breathes life into it and you share it and suddenly it's effective. It's not just some random evangelical verse. Boom, take that. Go home and read that. It's a word that God's given you to share in that context. So the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then the seventh thing in the list, which pervades and covers everything else, is prayer. Pray in the Spirit. Let me just quickly point out a couple of things in this verse. This will only take a few minutes and we're done. Unless there's like a sequel. You know, there's always a sequel. People, you know, unless Ephesians 7 comes out next year. We've been talking about that, but I don't know if it's going to happen. (laughs) Pray in the Spirit. Look at how much this man can cram into one verse. Verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions. Always. I want to develop a life of what Paul in 1 Thessalonians describes as prayer without ceasing. Just constant communion with God. Even if I'm standing at the whiteboard in school and I'm teaching some reasonably complicated A-level chemistry, still my spirit is communing with His. I want to develop that. All occasions. He says all kinds of prayers. Praise, thanksgiving, adoration, confession. Nigel a few weeks ago spoke about prayer. He talked about different aspects of prayer. There is there's just communion with God. There is, there is confession of sin. There's interceding on behalf of others. There's just waiting on God. There's praying the scriptures back to him. All kinds of prayers. Requests. And be specific. 
when I pray for the children as I'm leaving them off at school, I don't just say, God, give them a good day. I ask God to bless them in their friendships. I ask Him to bless them in their schoolwork. Be specific in your requests. Pray in the Spirit. If you're not praying in the Spirit, you're not praying. What is the option? What's the alternative to praying in the Spirit? It's praying in the flesh. I've heard it. I don't like it. <laughs> I've heard it. People praying in the flesh. You ever heard anybody preaching a sermon to you while they're praying? And you're sitting there thinking, you're not praying, buddy, you're preaching. <laughs> okay, you've started to preach. You've got yourself in a room of people who have no option but to listen to you. <laughs> and you've started to preach. Don't do it. That's, that's praying in the flesh where you're starting to just bring too much of your own. You're trying to influence people. You ever been in prayer when, when, when you're sitting there listening to someone pray and think, you're not talking to God, you're talking to that person three chairs away from you and I know you are and I don't like it. That's praying in the flesh. That's not praying in the spirit. It's not good. It's, it's described sometimes as being soulish. It is not prayer in the spirit as Paul conveys here. We're to be alert. Always alert. This is like Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. The disciples are slumbering and sleeping. He's alert. He's sharp. He knows he's in a battle. Always keep on praying. Don't quit. Persevere. Persist. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Those of you that have been around a while, you can tell stories when you've just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And finally, breakthrough. All of a sudden, breakthrough. And it's usually when you come to a point that you are literally, utterly at the end of yourself. <laughs> And you're, you've got to the point where you're coming down here to pray because you need to be on your own because you really need to shout. And you really need to get exasperated and you really need to just cry out to God and say, I can't take it anymore. And when he gets to that point, he says, that's good. Now I can move. <laughs> now I can move and no one else will get the glory. Keep on persisting and pray for all the Lord's people so you should never run out of people to pray for. Never. Okay. Here's a great quote about prayer. It's by a guy called Walter Wink. I don't know whether, I think he's a slightly controversial figure, but I'm not entirely sure, but I like this quote. Prayer is spiritual defiance of what is in the name of what God has promised. In other words, we look at what is. We look at brokenness. We look at pain. We look at depression. We look at despair. We look at the harm that the enemy has done to people we look at what is, and in prayer, we defy it. We say, no, no. That's what we do on a Tuesday night. We're looking at what is in this little town, and we are in an act of spiritual defiance. We're saying no, and we're laying hold on what God has promised. So, there's your armor. Let me finish with Jesus. Ephesians started with Jesus, in him, in him, in him, in him, in him, in him, alive in him, in him. The belt of truth, Jesus in John 14, 6 said, I am the truth. You're being asked to put on Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness, we read in, earlier in Ephesians that he is our righteousness. Or is it Romans? I haven't written the reference. He is our righteousness. 
the boots of the gospel of peace. We read in Ephesians that he is our peace. The shield of faith. We read in Galatians 2.20 about living in the faith of Jesus. Helmet of salvation. An old man in the temple in Luke chapter 2. An old man called Simeon. And he looks at a little baby. And then he says to God, you can take me home now because I have seen salvation. The baby was Jesus and he looks at him and says, I see salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, Jesus has declared in John 1 to be the Word made flesh. You're being asked to put on Christ. Romans 13, put on the armor of light. Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. End of show. Father, thank you. Thank you for this all-comprehensive armory that you've given to us, Lord. Lord, I ask that your people today would, would be inspired anew to stock up the armory, to delve into the written word so that the armory can be stocked, supplied, built up, filled, so that in those moments the evil day when the enemy comes against us, that we hear your spirit coming up behind us, handing us a sword and saying, use this one, use this one. Oh Lord, I love your word. May your word always be rhema to us. May it always be word and spirit, Lord. May it always be life-giving, life-breathing, Father. Lord, would you, would you put within all of us a deep, deep love for the Word of God and a knowledge and a skill to use it in battle so that when the enemy comes, we strike and he goes away wounded in the name of Jesus. Thank you for this book and this journey, Lord. I pray you'd bless it to us. I pray that over years to come, that things that we've learned on this journey will come out to us and support us and encourage us when we need them, Father. Lord, bless this people, I pray in Jesus' name.